Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today on your screen, you once again see the now infamous free Fortnite Rainbow Llama logo with their fake Tim Cook Apple person. And if none of that made any sense to you, I do recommend checking out our now 30 episode playlist, an antitrust epic in which we go over basically every detail about how Epic Games sought to break open the Apple iOS ecosystem and the Google Android ecosystem in the fall of last year by deliberately going against the App Store guidelines for those two manufacturers and really fomenting a series of lawsuits and legal challenges both for and against Epic and Apple and Google that have resulted in a partial temporary restraining order, a partial preliminary injunction, a lot of back and forth between Apple and Epic that is going to be pursued in a lawsuit later this year, if it's not delayed, in May of 2021. But we also talked about last week a bill in North Dakota that was proposed in the North Dakota Senate that would have sought to do exactly what Epic was seeking to do by prohibiting an exclusive app store on the iOS, by prohibiting an exclusive method of in-app payment processing from Apple and Google. We pointed out how this looked very much like what Epic was arguing for. We called that video, North Dakota might just have Epic's back before doing a video earlier this week that pointed out that the New York Times had discovered that Epic had in fact paid for the lobbyist that had proposed not just to do this law in North Dakota, but the very language that the law would follow. Well, as of yesterday, North Dakota has summarily rejected Epic's attempts at using their legislature to have another foothold in this fight. This Verge article says Apple won't have to allow App Store alternatives on iOS. After North Dakota bill fails, the bill failed in an 11 to 36 vote on Tuesday. This was not a close question for the North Dakota legislature, probably especially after the New York Times came calling, probably definitely after virtual legality did a video on this topic twice, I kid, but also because they just don't want to get into a series of lawsuits. We talked in our videos about the fact that one state doing this for an internet-based company is going to run into trouble with application of the federal commerce clause, the one found in the actual U.S. Constitution, that whichever state likely pursues this path, and one will. That's how the United States works. They will have lobbyists in various states that will be pursuing these bills in various locations. One will ultimately go for this. They will be facing considerable lawsuits from both Google and Apple, if not others, depending on how the language of the bill actually turns out. This Verge article begins as follows. A North Dakota bill that would have drastically altered the way App Store operators like Apple and Google manage their digital marketplaces has failed to garner enough votes falling in the state Senate by an 11 to 36 vote on Tuesday. The bill, SB 2333, stirred considerable controversy last week when a committee hearing drew the attention of corporate lawyers and lobbyists. I think that's me, not the lobbyist part. Experts and Apple critics arguing both in favor and against the proposed legislation's potentially far-reaching consequences. SB 233 was proposed by Senate Kyle Davidson after the state senator was approached by Lacey Bjork Anderson, a lobbyist with the firm Odney Public Affairs based in Bismarck, North Dakota, who gave a draft proposal to Davidson. Anderson, it turns out, was hired by both the CAF and Epic. 
This Verge article was also posted in the notation that other states would be looking at this as well. North Dakota SB 233 fell, but efforts to combat the App Store are mounting elsewhere, thanks to Epic Games and its partners. And I think that's the right way to describe this kind of thing. Certainly when you have a reference to the fact that this particular lobbyist was hired not just by the Coalition for App Fairness, but also by Epic directly, a commentary that is directly repeated in the New York Times article that we looked at, but Tim Sweeney, as is his want, disagrees with that characterization. North Dakota's effort to combat app store monopolies is awesome for consumers and developers. The Coalition for App Fairness organized the outreach, lobbying, and developer participation. Can't take credit for it, but Epic is proud to be a part of it. And note that this commentary only came at 4.28 p.m. yesterday evening after all of this was discovered by the New York Times, by Virtual Legality, reported on by Kotaku and in Gadget and The Verge and elsewhere, before this point in time, Tim Sweeney wasn't mentioning Epic's involvement at all, just saying, wow, what a great thing that North Dakota is proposing this kind of activity. And it's that kind of opacity, some might say duplicity, that really causes this entire issue for me personally, and I think for a number of you, to be looked at negatively, right? You can disagree with how the Apple store functions, how Apple runs its ecosystem, how Google and Android run their own ecosystem. And I do in many places. I think there's a lot of arbitrariness with the way they enforce their rules. I think there are things that can be fought about with respect to Apple and the way they treat iOS. But when you are looking to fight those issues, one thing that you don't want to have on your side is a bad actor. And in my opinion, Epic Games has proven now time and time and time again that they are the very last person you want to be raising your flag against Apple and Google and going out to these court systems. Because what's very likely to happen is that these bad acts, and you saw this already in the court case against Apple and the countersuit by Apple against Epic, that these bad acts of Epic of doing things surreptitiously, of hiding changes in the code, of not announcing that you have anything to do with the North Dakota bill, which is fine in and of itself, but then going out on Twitter and in other marketing and suggesting that you are just happy that this is happening. What a crazy coincidence. Creates this duplicity, creates this sense of lying that isn't going to help you in a court of law, that isn't going to help you before a governing body. And if you really think Apple and Google need to be put in their place, the very worst thing that can happen is that Epic is your champion and Epic gets smacked down so hard that Apple and Google's business model, the ecosystem that they run, is completely solidified by precedent. So when I say that I don't like what Epic is doing here, yes, I disagree with their theory of the case, but I also think they are uniquely poorly positioned to bring it. But I also have to give the props where they are due for these kinds of things. One of the reasons that Epic is doing this is because they've put their finger in the air. They sense where the wind is blowing and they're not wrong. It was only a couple of days ago when the Senate introduced a potential revision to the antitrust laws. Now, this revision, to editorialize a little bit, I think is terrible. I think it is a very poorly thought out thing. I think it is a thing that will change antitrust law and the efficiencies of corporate combinations, of corporate functioning, of business functioning in America and really globally in a very negative way. That's me editorializing. But reasonable minds can differ, as we say in virtual legality. And if you are somebody like Epic, who make no mistake, will benefit substantially by cracking open the iOS ecosystem and the Android ecosystem, then you look at this and you say, hmm, 
politicians, both Democrats and Republicans in the United States, are against big tech for different reasons, but it's still a big tent and we could potentially use that. So now with a proposal to change the antitrust laws, with the EU looking at things about antitrust laws, with various jurisdictions around the globe looking at these big tech companies that have real big problems, that Facebook collecting data, that Google doing things with search engines that have real significant problems, maybe I can hitch my Fortnite wagon to that, sell video games and potentially get the 30% eliminated. Right. And this antitrust suggestion by the Senate here is not at all minor. The updates here are significant. The bill amends the Clayton Act to forbid mergers that create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition rather than mergers that substantially lessen competition, where materially is defined as more than a de minimis amount. It's all legalese. Right. But what that says is that the government will now decide when something has an appreciable risk of happening that we think that competition might be lessened, that there is a significant risk. And in any corporate combination, in really anything that you do with corporate structuring, there is an appreciable risk of every outcome. So this would put the onus on the government to just deny any merger, any corporate combination, any acquisition that the parties involved might otherwise like, that the government doesn't have to show actually would hurt consumers because we'll never get to compare it to a universe in which the merger takes place. And these combinations will be prohibited by fiat of the U.S. government. That obviously, as a corporate lawyer myself, as someone that grew up in the law doing mergers and acquisitions, is not a standard that I think is a good one and will appreciably, to use their terminology, increase the cost of compliance in every transaction in the United States and potentially globally. Worse, the second change is perhaps more significant. They want to shift the burden to the merging parties to prove their merger will not violate the law. Now, this is said to only apply to certain categories of mergers, but perhaps the most important categories. They say certain categories of mergers pose significant risk to competition, but are still difficult and costly for the government to challenge in court. Feature, not a bug, I would argue. For those types of mergers, the bill shifts the legal burden from the government to the merging companies, which would have to prove that their mergers do not create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition or tend to create a monopoly or monopsony, which we've talked about is not actually illegal under the Sherman Act as it exists today. One of the types of mergers that they would require this burden shifting to occur in is the acquisitions of competitors or nascent competitors by a dominant firm defined as 50% market share, which, okay, that's dominant, or possession of significant market power, which is, again, another kind of layered level of ambiguity. So now you've got the government able to determine when somebody possesses significant market power, which apparently is not 50% market share because you wouldn't need this double definition to do so. If they determine that you possess significant market power and you're acquiring someone on a strategic basis, presumably you can also pretty easily claim that that's a nascent competitor Without a definition, every company is a nascent competitor to every other company. And so you can make that claim. And now all of a sudden, the acquiring party and also the selling party, if we're being honest, have to prove to the government that the acquisition does not, quote unquote, create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition, where the judge, jury and executioner here gets to decide what is risk, what's appreciable risk. What is lessening competition and what is materially lessening competition based on nothing? Because there isn't going to be a comparative to compare it to in the U.S. government. All of this leads to a problem 
which is that the government would step in and be able to prohibit all sorts of transactions, which might very well be efficient based on the U.S. government saying that they aren't. They change what the antitrust laws are from what we've discussed in virtual legality. Pulled up an article from Marketplace that talks about this a little bit. The way it works now for the government to block a merger or acquisition or prosecute a company for anti-competitive practices, regulators use the consumer welfare standard. That generally focuses on whether there will be an increase in prices or reduction in output as a result of a combination or other action. That means the government has to prove it's bad for consumers, right? When we look at the Epic versus Apple versus Google kind of concept, we have always said Epic serves to benefit if they win this case. Nobody's disputing that. Apple doesn't dispute it. Android doesn't dispute it. Tim Sweeney might dispute it on Twitter because that's who Tim Sweeney is. But Epic will very definitely benefit from not having to pay Apple 30% on Fortnite V-Bucks dollars. So you always are able to make the claim to the U.S. government that I would benefit if this weren't allowed, if this practice weren't allowed, if this combination weren't allowed. The antitrust laws in the United States for more than 100 years now have been focused on consumer welfare, not the welfare of the businesses involved, not the welfare of the potential competitors. These changes would seek to alter that arrangement. And if you don't have to prove that something will benefit consumers, which Epic is completely ignoring, they say it a lot, and we will see them say it a lot in the second part of this video. They say that it will help consumers, but they don't actually prove that case. They don't make that actual assertion. In fact, the court in their preliminary injunction hearing said, well, you can't actually show that the consumers are going to be benefited by this, with the rare exception of Apple not being allowed to cut off Unreal Engine developers in their iOS ecosystem. If you change that, well, then all of a sudden the government is more likely to enforce prohibitions against you and over-enforce those prohibitions. As we looked at from the prior discussion of the antitrust potential changes, the antitrust wind is blowing in a direction that wants to see over-enforcement, that they're willing to give up efficiencies because they think over-enforcement is the better side of this thing. The next quote in the Marketplace article mirrors that point. One of the things that this bill does is change burdens of proof, change presumptions so that we're erring more on the side of over-enforcement rather than under-enforcement. And you can agree with that if you are so inclined. I disagree, but that's just my own personal feeling on these kinds of laws. Either way, if you are epic and you see this happening around the globe, if you see it occurring and you've got an asset that currently pays 30% to these big tech giants, big tech giants, which are basically being investigated for other things, by the House, by the Senate, by various government bodies across the globe, then you hitch your wagon to them and you continue to ride it. You continue to go and seek changes in North Dakota and other states. You continue to go and you make lawsuits against Apple and Google in the United States. And now, as of today, after the North Dakota loss yesterday, Fortnite announces that it's bringing the fight to Europe. Wall Street Journal, Fortnite maker Epic Games extends legal battle with Apple to Europe. Game developers disputing with tech giants over revenue sharing in multiple countries. Europe, free Fortnite, says Epic Games on their very own blog post as of this morning. Epic Games today announced it has filed an antitrust complaint against Apple in the European Union, expanding the company's fight to advance fairer digital platform practices for developers and consumers. And then if you've been missing the high and mighty self-righteous rhetoric, well, we've got some for you. What's at stake here is the very future of mobile platforms. Epic Games founder and CEO Tim Sweeney said today, consumers have the right to install apps from sources of their choosing, 
and developers have the right to compete in a fair marketplace. We will not stand idly by and allow Apple to use its platform dominance to control what should be a level digital playing field. It's bad for consumers who are paying inflated prices due to the complete lack of competition among stores and in-app payment processing. And it's bad for developers whose very livelihoods often hinge on Apple's complete discretion as to who to allow on the iOS platform and on which terms. Epic has faced and been harmed by Apple's anti-competitive restrictions across payments and app distribution. When Epic gave Fortnite players on iOS a choice between Apple payment and Epic direct payment passing on services, passing on savings to direct purchasers, Apple retaliated by blocking Fortnite updates. When Epic sought to bring the Epic Game Store to iOS, Apple declined. And while Apple has launched its own gaming distribution service, Apple Arcade, it has barred competitors, including Epic, from doing the same. This is the very same complaint that they have leveled at Apple and at Google in the United States. There's nothing new here. What is new is they're bringing it to multiple jurisdictions. They're bringing it to the European Union. They're already having a fight in Australia that we've covered earlier in this series. They're talking about this in many states in the United States. North Dakota is the first loss. But here's the genius of the epic plan. We can give credit where credit is due. This is all self-righteous. This is all high and mighty rhetoric. This all clearly benefits Epic in a way that we've discussed in the 30 other episodes of this series. But you don't need to win every fight if you're Epic Games. As we saw in North Dakota, one of the problems that was presented there, one of the reasons it had a problem with the Commerce Clause in the United States is that it would affect the way Apple could function entirely, regardless of whether or not it was selling into North Dakota at the time, which, as I said in that video, might suggest that Apple would just cut off North Dakota. That's all well and good. Apple is much less likely to cut off the entirety of the European Union or Australia or another state in the United States or many of them if they act together. So Epic is playing a long game here. Epic is fighting this fight on multiple fronts because there are billions of dollars on the line for Epic. 30% of their Fortnite take is so much money that they can afford to pay lawyers and lobbyists and coalitions everywhere. Because if they win once, then that will have a domino effect that Apple and Google will have to think about how they operate, what they have to cut off, what they need to change. Epic is doing a certain right thing for its actual business model. I don't like the way they portray it. I don't like what they did to affect it in August. I think you are much more likely to lose if you are against Google and iPhone and Apple by following Epic into the breach on this particular discussion that you should find somebody else who's better positioned and less duplicitous and doesn't have this bad actor stain that the courts are going to pull apart, even in the EU. But Epic could win this fight. And if they win this fight in any one jurisdiction, it's going to have significant ramifications for Apple and Google, which is why you get this kind of fact pattern, which is why you get Apple and Epic fighting tooth and nail over these various things. This is an existential threat to the Apple business model, and Epic has billions of dollars that they can gain by winning this fight in any one location. But don't be confused about why Epic is doing this. Tim Sweeney may well view himself as a messiah and trying to defend developers and everybody else in the universe against the evil Apple and evil Google. But his company, his product, his asset, his game store will be one of the few in the world that will benefit the most from having the gates thrown wide open. And consumers 
who may want to buy an Apple product that isn't open, that Apple doesn't have to service, that doesn't have to devote resources to making sure other stores can work in their ecosystem, that they have other payment processing that won't simultaneously work just for Epic and also potentially make people on their ecosystem feel more insecure, that Apple fans that want to get that product, whether you hate them or not, you think they're the stupidest consumers on earth, they won't have that option if Epic wins on this theory of the case. And Epic's theory of the case could have significant ramifications for other hardware as well. I think if you've been in virtual legality before, you know where I stand on the theory of this particular fight. I think it is silly. And I think a manufacturer that creates a distribution platform of its own has the right to control access and rules related to that platform. But I can't really blame Epic for having the legal conversation. I can blame them for the messaging that they go out with, and I can blame them for the way they have comported themselves both last fall and today. This has been Virtual Legality for today. As Epic pursues its claim in Europe, please consider supporting the channel. If you like this content, we're talking about the business and law of pop culture, software, technology, video games, music, movies, television, and more regularly in this space. We've got a Patreon you can check out. You can give us donations and tips at Streamlabs. We've got shirts to sell. Reasonable minds can differ. And if none of that appeals to you at all, but you still like this content, just subscribe. Ring the bell. Tell your friends. Tell folks that we're having these conversations here. Every little bit helps. Every little bit of growth helps the YouTube algorithm, helps people get our attention, helps us get noticed. And we appreciate every tiny little thing that anybody that's a fan of this content can do. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.